good Wednesday afternoon, evening. Sorry, Wednesday evening. Wow. Time gets away from you when you're busy. And welcome to another edition of the Sideline Junkies Wednesday wind up. And little anime is in the room crying right now. We got Dario sitting behind the glass. Lovey sitting across from me. Akasha and Xavier. VJ walking around. We got a house full today. So we're going to get into this thing. Uh, we got to start off on a somber note. Um, not the way that I really wanted to start the show. But I can't say one thing. We gave this man his flowers while he was here. We always talked about Elgin Baylor. Uh, that's what you outside of this area. And I say this area, we are located in the DMV, the D.C., Maryland, and Virginia area for those that are uninitiated. And uh, we lost Rabbit on uh day before yesterday, which was March the 22nd. Um, for those of you that don't know, Rabbit was one of the absolute best ballers to come from D.C. Uh, I don't think it's a, a, a player from this area that has been better. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. There's nobody that's been better to come out of this area. You had some that were close. And it's a long list of guys that have came from the area. Um, Dave Bing, uh, Adrian Branch. Um, who else we got? Uh, of course, Lynn Bias, Danny Ferry from the area. You got Kevin Durant, of course. Thank you, VJ. I appreciate that. Uh, 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 Ty Lawson. Um, so many names. A lot of them escaped me. Sherman Douglas. He went to Spangon too. So it was a he. He pretty much paved the way for a lot of guys to come from the area and be as good as they could be. I mean, think of all the legends. Oop, I got a feedback here. But think of all the legends that have came through D.C. in some point in time. But these, this is a homegrown legend. Homegrown. Okay? So, over his career, six foot five, small forward, shooting guard, uh, played with the Lakers, went to Phelps and Spingon here in D.C., uh, Phelps Vocational, Spingon High School, sits right there off of uh, – what is that? Benning Road. Right up on the hills. Empty building now. Uh, very famous school. Drafted number one, number one by the Minneapolis Lakers in 58. Uh, played 14 years. 11-time All-Star. All-Star game MVP in 59. 10-time uh, All-NBA first team. NBA Rookie of the Year in 59. Uh, NBA 35th anniversary team, NBA 50th anniversary team. So, you know, one of the 50 greatest of all time. Number 22 retired by the Lakers, which deservedly so. Uh, he went to college at Idaho and Seattle. He started out at the College of Idaho and then moved on to Seattle. And at, in Seattle, he won most outstanding player in the Final Four in 58. Um. Helms Foundation Player of the Year in 58. Consensus First Team All-American in 58. Uh, he was an All-American Second Team All-American in 57. Led the NCAA in rebounding in 57 at six foot five. Uh, his number 22 was retired by the Seattle Seahawks. Goes on to the Lakers. Plays alongside uh, arguably one of the best guards to ever play the game. And that is one Jerry West, Zeke from Cabin Creek. Um, or for those of you that know him as Mr. Clutch, one of the best shooting guards of that era, and I think of all time. He went on to average over his career, Elgin Baylor, 27.4 points per game, 13.5 rebounds per game, uh, 4.3 assists. And in the midst of his final season, he retired due to chronic knee issues. And he bowed out uh, about nine games into the season. And then after he bowed out, 
the Lakers went on a 33-game win streak and wound up winning the championship that year. He was still awarded a championship ring, but of course, that's never in his resume, which I always think is uh, bogus. Because any guy, long as you play one minute, a team wins a championship, you get a ring too, you know? So, uh, as you know, John Thompson is one of our biggest influences here. And knowing how he felt, if you haven't read John Thompson's autobiography, I Came as a Shadow, please do it. There's a whole chapter dedicated to Elgin Baylor and what he meant to guys coming from this era, area at this time in that era. And he was an absolute beast. Nobody could out jump. He was Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, Dr. J, George Gervin, long before those guys were who they are. They, but long before there was a his airness, long before there was a Dr. J, long before there was a Iceman, long before there was a uh, Mamba, or a Black Mamba, I should say, there was Rabbit. Number 22, you know, so it, it was a lot. Um, he went on after his career to uh, be an executive, NBA coach first. He was hired as an assistant for the then New Orleans Jazz. Um, he went on to be a head coach later on, but he wasn't really an a, a awesome head coach. 86 and 135, retired after the 78 and 79 season. Uh, in 86, he was hired by the Los Angeles Clippers as team vice president of basketball operation. And he stayed in that position till 2008 after he resigned. Um, but only two winning seasons in his time with the Clippers. And he won executive of the year in uh, 2006. You know, he put together... So, some some okay teams, but they just couldn't quite get it, if you dig what I mean. They they couldn't get over the hump. Uh, I remember it was a team in the 90s. I used to always pull for the Clippers. I mean, because I, I, they were just a, a doormat. You know, they could win games, but they just couldn't win consistently. I used to always pull for them to win enough just to get to the playoffs, even as an AC and be the sacrificial lamb. And it was a time in the... the uh, 90s. I want to say it's about 97 ish. I want to say that's when it was. Um, and they had uh Eric Piekowski at the two, Pooh Richardson, Lamar Murray at the three. Um, I want to say this is Olua Candy's rookie year. Uh, Lloyd Vaught at the the four. You know. And they made the playoffs. I don't even remember who they had coming off the daggone bench. I got to look that up. But, I mean, they made the playoffs. They didn't – I think they lost 3-1 to somebody. It might have been Utah they lost to. I can't remember right offhand. But that was one winning season. And then, you know, in 06, they had a winning season. Uh, but it just never really worked out as an executive. And, of course, he was a part of uh, – the. he filed an employment discrimination lawsuit against the Clippers and Donald Sterling, who was the team owner at that time. And he alleged that he was underpaid by the team and that he was fired because of his age and race. Uh, but he wound up not pursuing that lawsuit. Uh, but he was one of the longest tenured executives in the NBA, 22 years for one team. And he passed away on the 22nd, uh, 86 years of age. They say natural causes. That's what his wife reported. I can honestly say uh, he's on the list when we talk about greats. And we've done NBA greats uh, up and down the chart. And I'm, I'm, I had to pull out the book. We've done... NBA greats up and down, up and down, up and down. We've talked about NBA greats for the last few years. And he was always, when we talk small forwards, 
it's always Larry Bird, LeBron, Elgin Baylor. But if you want to list Elgin Baylor as a two guard, he was still on your list. Elgin Baylor was always on your list. So rest in peace to the one, the only rabbit, AKA Elgin Baylor. Um, I just, I, death is a part of life. So that's all I can say is that it's, you know, it's a part of life. We can't get, you know, too sad about it because it, it's going to happen to all of us one day. So, uh, moving on, I wish I could say that things would get a little bit brighter here at Sideline Junkies, but uh, we got to talk about this. And we've been talking about it the last couple of shows. Uh, I'm not too happy about it, to be quite honest. The accusations, the allegations that are coming forth uh, against one Deshaun Watson. Um, An Instagram model has come forward and said she's given him a massage on several occasions and it never turns sexual. Uh, And she says, you know, it was the conversations were great. They always would talk and everything. Now it's uh, another one. Another woman accuses Deshaun Watson of climaxing on her face and body doing massage sessions. Basically, what she said is uh, he set up a massage session. Uh, she went. He went to her house, and she had never done a massage before. So, to me, that's red flag number one. You've never done a massage before, but you're going to do a massage for Deshaun Watson. Red flag number one for me. Uh, he wanted to know, was it safe to go to her house? She said, yeah, ain't nobody's here but me. He wanted to make sure his surroundings were safe. So apparently he got naked according to uh, the lawsuit she filed. He got naked, laid face down, and told her he wanted her to focus on his thighs. So she rubbed his thighs and he asked her, this is allegedly, asked her, was she ready for him to turn over? He turns over, she rubs his thighs, he keeps telling her up higher to go, you know, towards his growing area, allegedly. And boom, bang, pow, surprise, he starts ejaculating all over her in the face and on her arm and everything, and then he starts to masturbate, allegedly. These are the things that are coming out. And I think we're up to 19 women now. 19 women with this whole Deshaun Watson thing. And I think only seven of them have been filed as criminal charges. Uh, Seven filed as criminal charges. Nine still in lawsuits. And I think like two more still being vetted to to check the, the stories. Everybody says the same thing. The timing of this whole thing is crazy. It, it doesn't it doesn't make sense because none of this was you know came to light before he said he wasn't playing for Houston anymore. I've heard rumors, I've heard a lot of things, and I still haven't came through and found out if this lawyer has anything to do with the ownership. But I, I'm I'm starting to wonder a lot of things. And Molly Kareem, uh, she's no no uh, 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 stranger to sideline junkies because we've talked about her before. Uh, Molly Kareem is urging the NFL to protect and respect women, right? Now, for those of you that don't remember, Molly Kareem is Jalen Rose's wife, Fab Fiber, uh commentator on air talent of ESPN, Jalen Rose. That's his wife. She felt some kind of way about LeVar Ball saying to her, she said, let's switch gears. He said, all right, we can always switch gears. And there's video of it. Nothing salacious. Nobody took it any any way out of the way but her. And, you know, he did his gear shifting thing. He's been banned from ESPN because of that. And I'm not a huge LeVar Ball fan. 
I got respect for him. I got more respect for him than I had in the beginning. But I felt that he was railroaded off of something that was innocent. But let's not get off, off topic. Molly Kareem is urging the NFL to protect and respect women. Okay. Uh, basically, what she's saying is she wants to she wants the league to do more. She wants the league to do more than what they're doing. She wants them to step up and take action. But here's the thing, and everybody on social media uh, has said it. Yeah, that's great and all. The league let every woman down with the Ray Rice situation. And I felt like Shannon Sharp, I wanted to lean in and just put my hand on my chin like, where did they let the women down? Ray Rice has not played another down since he knocked his wife unconscious. He has not played another down in the NFL. His career was over, done with. He was required to go to counseling. Both of them were required to go to counseling, actually. And their marriage is their marriage. I think it's stronger than ever. I'm not sure. I don't think they separated. Not my business because that's between man and wife. Now, what he did was wrong. He uppercutted the shit out of her. And that was wrong. Drunk or not. She was wrong because she was she spit on him. When you spit on somebody, you lose it. You lose you lose your, your, your focus, all that, because that's one of the nastiest things you could do. But Ray Rice was suspended, released, and has never played another down. Now, you're talking about respecting and protecting women. Old boy up there in Seattle, offensive lineman, I refuse to say his name because I don't even remember his name. I just like to call him bitch boy. Because you put your hands around a woman's neck, choked her unconscious, and then went and ate your dinner like it was nothing. And when she got up and ran to the bathroom, you say, uh, oh, you're still alive? The Midnight Rider chimes in with his name, Chad Wheeler. I don't want to remember his name. Fuck him. But nobody was screaming, respect and protect women. Then they didn't even want to come through with this story about bitch boy. But, you know, they blame that on mental illness. He was off his bipolar meds. Now, that's quite possible, but it does not erase the fact that he choked a woman. Unconscious. And then walked out of the room and continued living his life like it was nothing. Then you fought the police and you walked away from it alive. And they didn't even want to cover this on TV. But this Deshaun Watson thing, 7 o'clock in the morning, they all in it. And I hope like hell all this shit is false and it's bullshit so everybody can eat their goddamn words. Because it, 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 I hate to bring race into everything, but goddamn it, when it's blatant like this, you gotta bring it in there. Bitch boy Chad Wheeler was white. Is white. Deshaun Watson's black. Don't know what none of these women look like. I haven't seen a picture of none of these women. I don't know nothing about them. Don't know none of their backgrounds. Don't care because it's all going. Everything that's done in the dark is going to come to light. You telling me that nineteen times he pulled the same move. Everybody got the same story. Rub my butt. Rub my thighs. Higher. Higher. Right there. Okay, let me turn over. You're telling me that happened 19 times. He did that shit 19 times. And it's just coming out now. Once he did it once, and it made the masseuse feel uncomfortable, right then and there, you know, it's not going to mess up your bag if somebody messaged, you know, messaged you up. So right then and there, that's a problem if he did it once. But he was allegedly able to do it 19 times, and it's all over the news. Now, on the other hand, Chad Wheeler, I don't know how many times he's put his hands on this woman, but he choked her unconscious, and you ain't heard nothing about it since the week it happened. Yeah, he got cut from the team, but so what? Somebody's going to pick him up. Somebody's going to pick him up and bring him to camp because, you know, he got himself together and he deserves a second chance. Now, these allegations, and they're calling, people are calling for Deshaun Watson to be put on the commissioner's exempt list. You know, when you're on the exempt list, as Josh Gordon, there's no money. I think the only thing they give you is your health care. But there's no money coming in. There's He can lose sponsorships, all of that. Now, if you lose everything that you worked hard for off of allegations, number one, and then it comes out none of it is true, 
that's a problem for me. And I think every single one of those women should be held accountable for that. Because that shit's not cool. Not at all. And I I, I don't want to sound like I'm defending Deshaun Watson. And they're calling him a, a, a serial rapist. You know, I've seen him called a lot of names. And I'm, I'm thinking in my head, like, okay, you're already in a court of public opinion. You could do a poll right now, and in a court of public opinion, he's guilty in most people's, people's eyes. Whatever happened to innocent until proven guilty? I can write a statement right now and say, I got Dario sitting right here. Dario sitting behind the glass, ladies and gentlemen. I can write a statement right now and say that Dario beats my ass on a regular basis. He he uh he he does me dirty, he makes me eat dirt, and these are the things that Dario does to me as a son. I could say those things. Are they true? Who would care? Dario's guilty. Dario's a a, a menace to society. That's what he is. So if if he's a, a a menace to society, why 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 would you believe me? And it, it, here's the thing: I can say I and Midnight Rider. I got that article too. I can say anything I want about somebody if I put it in a, in a statement that doesn't make it true. All this has to go to court. And I'm not sure of many masseuses. I think that's how you say it. I think that's the plural word of masseuse. Masseuses. Mas- I'm plural word masseuse. Masseuses. Massagers. <laughs> I'm not sure how many women that give massages. Let's put it that way. Because <laughs> I'm getting all the wrong answers from everywhere. I'm not sure how many women that give massages that do out-call services. That don't travel with security of some type. I don't give a shit where you're going. I don't, I know women that dance for a living. And when they do private parties, they got security with them. And security packing that heat. If security ain't packing that heat, security type of dude, you're like, yeah, you're going to have to like do some, you're going to have to dismember this dude rip his heart out, and then you try to rip his heart out, his heart's still beating in your hand, and he's still alive, and he's still beating on you. It's like, that's how big this guy is. I don't know many women that travel, that, that's in that line of work that travel alone. So things like this don't happen. See, it's a lot of holes in these stories. And I'm just like, uh, this is not making any sense. Um, Now, this lawyer, uh, Busby is a prominent lawyer in Houston. He ran for mayor. He posted a billboard in 2014 urging his neighbor, his neighbor, Mr. McNair, to drive Johnny Manziel. Uh, Busby surely knows that Kyle McNair owns the, the Texans. And Busby surely knows people that work there. This is off a of, uh, pro football talk. This is what uh, the Midnight Rider just sent to me. This, this dude... He has some sort. This is a smear campaign. And this article right here, if it was from anywhere else, I'd probably be like, yeah, maybe. But this is pro football talk. And uh pro I think pro pro football focus and pro football talk was uh one of the places that myself and the boss BJ we've applied for jobs for, and we were uh in the in the pipeline, but you know, life came up. But my thing is, they have some sort of vendetta against Deshaun Watson, so they're going to take him out as best as they can. Mark my words. This is all going to come out in the wash. I think Deshaun Watson's going to come out smelling like a rose. And uh, one, Cal McNair is going to wind up having to drop that team. So, speaking of dropping teams daniel snyder danny boy owner of the excuse me the the washington football team 
has won a little bit of a fight. Uh, the NFL clears a way for him to buy out the other owners. Now, the other owners were trying to get out and sell from underneath of him because they wanted him to sell the team because of all the allegations of sexual misconduct, sexual harassment, everything that was going on in the organization. Um, you took one of the longest-running cheerleading programs, the First Ladies of Football, formerly known as the Redskinettes, and you put them you put them on hold. And then you you pretty much fired them. And it, it's a lot. I'm sure if you listen to us here, you know how I feel about all of that. But now Daniel Snyder has a way to buy out his three partners from the Washington football team. The finance committee approved Snyder's application for a $450 million debt waiver. Damn it, why can't I get something like that? Uh, the other owners will vote at the league's annual meeting next week on whether to approve the deal. Snyder needs 24 of 32 owners to vote in favor of the transaction. Uh, you know he's got Jerry's vote. He'll be uh, majority. He's already majority owner, but he'll be damn near sole owner. Um, it's going to cost him $875 million to buy these cats out. And he will have to repay the debt by 2028 so that's seven years from now uh the washington post reported in november that a group of, of investors had offered the minority shareholders 900 million dollars to sell but that snyder blocked the move and I, I i've heard that that he 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 that's why they were a little more annoyed with him and they went and filed paperwork in other places and things like in other jurisdictions on him and then i heard bruce island was on the phone and you know, giving up juice and tea. So it's a lot. But a lot of us fans are like, Snyder has to sell his team. He has to sell his team because he's bringing a lot of negative publicity on the business side. And on the, the football side is kind of flourishing a little bit. Uh, you got Curtis Samuel. You have... Uh, Fitz magic now um still on the fence i'm a wait and see guy with that uh you have a star a, a natural star in terry mclaurin and in chase young you got a Montez sweat you know you 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 got a a, a no-nonsense fiery head coach in ron rivera you know you got things on the uptick but off the field it's a distraction now i mean it's two things that pressure can do Pressure bursts pipes or pressure creates diamonds. So it all it, it all depends on how this team performs. But the majority of the fan base wanted Snyder to sell this team. But now he's about to own even more of it. So we're gonna see how that works. I'm 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 not too uh I'm not too fond of this move, but 875 million. If you got money uh, to blow like that, I say do it. But I, I just I don't I don't uh, I don't know what to say because Snyder is is just uh, we got the midnight rider joining ladies and gentlemen boys and girls children of all ages let's welcome the midnight ride welcome good sir what's going on sir what's happening yo from now on whenever i get intro you gotta intro me. i don't care who it is like <laughs> even at my funeral you gotta give me the intro like when the casket rolling down the joint you know what i'm saying you got <laughs> you it. get that credit but nah seriously um i wanted to talk to you because you a diehard risking fan Yes, sir. I'm a diehard risk fan. Yes, sir. I, but we always look at this from different um, perspectives or diasporas, however you want to look at it. So I'm going to ask you this question. Do you think, from a fan perspective, Daniel, owners, Daniel Snyder is a bad owner? He's gotten better over the course of the last few years. But starting out, I thought he was a horrible owner because he wanted to be Jerry Jones instead of being Daniel Snyder. Okay. 
So I would agree with you to a degree because I think the one thing that Washington fans fail to realize is whether they like it or not, Snyder's given them what they've asked for in a lot of situations. He's done it the wrong way to get you there, but he's you've asked for certain things um, and he's given it to you, but it just didn't work out outside of Jim Zorn. Jim Zorn is just the black hole that should have never existed. But when Marty left, and everybody talks about Marty with great love now, but I remember watching, going, leaving the games, and they hated Marty. They hated the fact that he made Daryl Green do Oklahoma drills. And then they were like, oh, we need a more offensive guy because we hated Jimmy Ray's offense. And this is just the fans after the game, because I listened to the post-game show, driving home from the stadium. So he gave him Spurrier. And then we realized that Spurrier was just there to collect the paycheck and play golf. And then the next domino and the next domino. It was always one of those things where I think Snyder listened. He just did a poor job executing the plan, if that makes sense. Makes perfect sense now. But th the thing is, with that Marty run, I was one of those fans that bashed Marty in 2001. Now, mind you, at that time, I was 19, get ready to turn 20. And I was talking to a buddy of mine that I worked with at the time, real close guy. We would go to the house and we would talk about Washington football. We would talk about the Redskins. And he was like, they got to get the run game on the, on the track. They get the run game on track. Watch. They're going to reel it off. We lost five straight games. Mm -hmm. And I started to see, I think about the third or fourth game, I stopped bitching so much. And I started watching closely to what he was telling me. And the next thing I know, we lose five straight. We win five straight. We finish eight and eight. And all we could talk about at the end of that season, all right, we build off of this. We need another receiver, and we build off of this. Let's build. That's all we could talk about. But then because he wanted – what did he say in uh, football life? I wanted Marty to separate the head coach and the GM, and Marty didn't want to. I wouldn't have either because I feel that a coach should have – Total autonomy. If I tell you, if you're my GM, I'm your head coach. You hired me to do a job, and I give you a list. These are the players that I need you to go get for me. If we can't get this player, it's another player to replace him. Work it out. I don't care how you get them. Work them out, and these are the players that I want here. I have to trust you. You trust me. That's how we win. It shouldn't be. Now, if, you give a, if a coach has the GM role, let him build his roster. He knows what he needs to win. Let him go get it. All you got to do is sign the checks. We got a guy in the office that makes sure we don't go over the cap and we're not in salary cap hill. That's it. That's all Marty wanted, and you couldn't give him that. Well, the other part of that is the fact that he wanted Marty to fire Jimmy Ray. There was no there was no in-between. It was Jimmy Ray got to go. Because he I, wanted an updated offense. Look, but the problem with it, when you have a defensive coach as the head coach, of course, offense is always going to be secondary. It's the same problem that they're having up in Minnesota. Um, even though Kirk and I'm putting up numbers, decent numbers, their problem is and the same problem they're having in Seattle. You just keep trying to play defense first, and you can't always play defense first in this league. Like, this isn't a defense first league anymore. Times have changed. Exactly. I agree. Okay. Wait. Danny as an owner, he's gotten better because I, I hate it when he meddled. But I, I to find out that he was pretty much like we're drafting Dwayne Haskins. And me, I wanted Dwayne Haskins. I was like, it's so much upside. And I told BJ, I said, dog, we get Haskins. He doesn't have to start right now. I said, we got, you know, we'll get guys. And you could put guys around him and, and you know, just go. And Haskins didn't start right away. You had Case Keenum, and I was like, all right, let Case Keenum start. Let him sit there and hold the clipboard. I said, most rookies, even if they're drafted high at quarterback, they should not start that first year. You should be holding the clipboard. You know what you're going to have when you got guys starting too early? You're going to have Shane Falcos. And I don't mean <laughs> at the end of the movie. I mean before the movie started. No, I got you. Seattle when he collapsed. After that Sugar Bowl incident, Shane Falco wasn't no good. Footsteps Falco wasn't no good. So, you know, I don't want Shane Falcos. I want guys that's going to come in and hold the clipboard. Aaron Rodgers held the clipboard. Uh, Phillip Rivers held the clipboard. 
and both of those guys are going to the Hall of Fame. Russell Wilson didn't. No, but Russell Wilson, Russell Wilson was a, a quarterback of a different breed. He is a quarterback of a different breed. He's a man of a different breed. I, I, I absolutely love Russell Wilson all the way around the board. I always have. I, I, I bangs with him hard. I defend him on everything. Like that man can't do no wrong in my eyes. That's my dog. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. So at Wisconsin, three years ago, I mean eight years ago, you saying that you thought Russell Wilson would be this guy? No, not okay. even when he was at NC State and he transferred okay. to Wisconsin. No, I never knew he was okay. going to be. I didn't know RG three was going to be what he was in twenty twelve. What? I didn't. I didn't think. I thought he was just going to be, you know, a Randall Cunningham, strong arm quarterback, you know, great media figure, win a couple games. I didn't know he was going to dominate the league in twenty twelve the way he did. I didn't. I didn't see that. They tell me all getting the quarterback. I, hey, the thing is, his mouth messed him up. Exactly. And if he would have said, you know, and Shanahan said the best, the most dangerous thing you can do is use that pistol because the threat of the play action is going to draw defenses in because they're scared of you running. You can sit back and pick them apart. A lot of people say, oh, RG3 wasn't accurate when he was in Washington. It's bullshit because he completed over 70% of his passes when he was here. He had a game where he completed 96% of his passes. He was 13 and 14. Look at what he did to the Cowboys on Thanksgiving. That was a passing display. That was a natural-born, homemade-from-scratch ass-whooping. They just took their foot off the gas. That's why it looked like it was close. I watched that entire game. I know what he could do. And because of what yeah. he was, if he would have stayed in that vein, he would have been fine. But instead, he... His pops say, ain't no black quarterback running, never won anything. Well, Russell Wilson runs, and he got a championship. So there goes that myth. So, you know, but Daniel Snyder standing on the table, and he wanting people, and the football guys are telling him, no, this is not what we need right now. Because when they drafted Dwayne Haskins, they wanted to pick Montez Sweat in that, in that, with that pick, with that 15th pick. They had, to, they had to trade back up and get Montez Sweat. And I think Montez Sweat was a gem. I'm absolutely positively happy that we signed him because to see him move from outside linebacker standing up to handing the dirt three-point stance pass rushing now, but he can still stand up, drop back in the coverage, and him and Chase, I think they're going to be two of the most dominant DNs I think they're going to be pretty much uh, they're going to be this generation's Dexter Manley and Charles Mann, where if you block one, the other one's coming. And all you you could put you could put one of my kids in the middle, and one of my kids is just hold the middle up while they just do their thing on the outside, and we'll be fine. That's how I feel about Montez Sweat and Chase Young. But well, you know, Montez had his hand in the dirt at college, right? Yeah, so did Ryan Carey. Okay, and they brought okay. him here. And he stand up. That Ryan Kerrigan played out of position his whole entire career. He All right, I got another nugget for you. Go ahead. All right, so I guess the other day Ryan Anderson signed with the New York Giants. Mm, did he? Um, one year deal, vet minimum. So I'm gonna ask you the question first. I'll give you a chance to answer this, but I don't know if you'll know the answer or not. Can you name the last Redskin? Slash football team, second round draft pick to get a second contract with the Redskins slash football team. Jeez. Second round pick. Second round pick. No. So recent history's been Sewell Cravens, Preston Smith, um, uh, Trent Murphy. uh, What's the most recent two? Anderson and um, Sewell Cravens. No, I can't name one. It's probably years ago. So the last guy that this team signed on a second contract that we drafted in the second round was Fred Davis. Which shouldn't have never been signed to a second contract. Yeah, he should have. Nah, because one thing about Fred Davis, he couldn't stay healthy. But then on top of not being able to stay healthy, he couldn't stay off the wacky tobacco. And he he was billed as... Right, um, 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 Vernon Davis. He was supposed to be 
a, 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 a bigger version of Vernon Davis, just his face. And he never panned out. That What was that? That was a 20, 2011 draft? Was that it draft? Okay, so I don't remember the year that draft, but here's what we did. We took Devin Thomas and Malcolm, Malcolm Kelly, Kelly mm-hmm. before Calais Campbell. <laughs> Say it. So Say I sat there and yelled at my TV the whole time because, I mean, again, I think this is the one thing, and, I, and this is my hope and my prayer, that when I watch football games, I watch college, I watch pro. I know you do the same thing. Mm-hmm. But it was always hard for me to say this is a Redskin guy or this is a football team guy. And I say this all the time. But it it, it kills me because – like, I watch games with my boy. He's a Steelers fan. If I see a kid play, I'm like, yo, he's a Steelers guy. You know what I'm saying? If I see a guy playing, I'm like, yo, he could be a Patriot. But I never watch a game like, oh, he could be a football team guy because I don't know what a football team guy looks like. Now, thanks to Ron, I kind of know what the linebacker position looks like because of Luke Keekley, Thomas Davis, Shaq Thompson, and those guys, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. So I kind of know what we're looking for in a linebacker. So at 19, if the kid from Notre Dame, not being a you know not being a homer, but if he's there, I want him to. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, right. If he's there, snap you know, him up. Right. Now, but the only thing, and let's do you have time? You want to talk about that, or you got something I, else you want to go to? I, I got a, I got, I'm on time restriction this this week. Um, do your thing. Do your thing. I, I got about, I got about nine minutes. And I, I got to wrap up, but that 2008 draft, Devin Thomas, Fred Davis, Malcolm Kelly, Chad Reinhardt, Justin Tryon, Durant Brooks. We drafted a punter in the sixth round. Uh, mm-hmm. Kareem Moore, Cole Brennan, mm-hmm. Rob Jackson, and Chris Horton. Because, you know, Chris Horton had that sesamoid. Um, mm-hmm. I, and that, that was heralded as one of the best draft classes that we – now, this is four or five years ago. They was talking about 2008 was the best draft class that we had. That was Vinny Serrato's best draft class ever. Devin Thomas was a head case. Never really got on the field. Malcolm Kelly, I don't remember him ever playing in anything, any any regular season game. I remember playing in preseason. Chad Reinhardt got a little burn. Uh, Durant Brooks, right, I think. Chad, was he went somewhere else. I think Reinhardt ended up in San Diego and played with I him think so. Kareem Moore finally got on the, on the, um, on the field and he was a bust. Rob Jackson, I was hoping like hell that he was re-signed because he was actually good. Arakpo no, kept going down. Rob Jackson was pretty decent. He wasn't. He no, was wasn't. good for the scheme. No, he wasn't. Uh, Chris Horton no, was a one-hit wonder. Chris Horton was a one-hit wonder. The problem um, with Rob Jackson was Rob was like he had one of those seasons where it was just like he just always ended up in the right spot. It wasn't because he was good. It wasn't because he was bad. He just, it was just like somehow, like the guys were just with him. <laughs> and um, I describe, you're, you're a Notre Dame fan. So I always just describe the 20, that season that they won with Rob Jackson and company. I always um, put that to the Ty Willingham season with Carlisle Holiday because it was like everything just went right that year. Right. Because that Carlisle Holiday team, like, they had, like, maybe 10 turnovers the whole season, but had, like, a bunch of takeaways. They won 11 games, and they shouldn't have won those games. And I thought that same team with that Rob Jackson team was the same way. And with Rob Jackson being the catalyst, because I think he had, like, three interceptions, a couple of fumble recoveries. Mm-hmm. But he was never, like, he never stood out in, in the game. Like, like, that was the part that used to always drive me crazy. Like, he just, the ball would just find him. Right. Matter of fact, 2012, end of uh, end of the year against the Cowboys. Dallas game. And he, he t- I think he came up with two interceptions that game and a sack. And I was like, mm-hmm. why are we not bringing this guy back? But the thing is, this is what Doc Walker used to always say. He said, look at the guys that leave here. They come here, we think they're all good, and then they leave here and they never go anywhere else. Mm-hmm. They're done. And this is maybe about four or five. And this is about three years ago. He said on the radio, he said, now look at guys that we're cutting. And teams are scrambling to come pick them up and get them in camp. 
and they're making the roster. We're cutting good guys for even better guys. So now we we're getting better. That's the evolution mm-hmm. of us. We're getting better. Where we're getting better talent here now. And out of that 2008 draft, the only player that I really wanted to keep and I thought could have could have made a difference that never got a real chance. Don't crucify me on this, but it was Colt Brennan. God, I knew it. I knew you were saying. I I I, I like the dude because he comes from a run and shoot offense down in Hawaii. What's that? June Jones. He was successful, set all, set all those records. But when he came here, he played in the preseason. We were down against the Jets, and the boy just let it come back. Him and uh, what's the running back? Oh, man, the running back that was like the preseason MVP for like three years in a row for us. Oh, uh, not, not Marcus Mason. Marcus Mason. That that was me oh, and B. Boy. Like, we watched him play every preseason. We was like, why is he not making the team? And that's what, <laughs> that's what got us into – a lot of things we was like we're, we're looking at these guys they're showing that given a chance that they can do anything why is he not making the team and I, I think Marcus Mason played maybe one regular season game with somebody else but he he always mm-hmm. was one of the he last did. cut down guys yo all right I know you probably up against it because we over your nine minutes but yeah. one day we're gonna sit down and like have this conversation out um whether I do something you do something it don't matter but we got to have this convo because there's a thing that I have as a mantra when it comes to talent for this team. And I think we just don't do it. And I will talk about it more in detail. So whenever you're ready, we can have that convo, whether it's on this or some other way. That's a bet. Cause we, we got a lot of, co- look, we're going to need to call out. We got a lot of conversations. Yeah. <laughs> we yeah. got a lot. That That's a, that's a series waiting to happen. I think that might be a summertime thing. We just sit down, and, yeah. and, and get some crabs and just record that. Just sit around the table outside and just record that. Yeah, that's not gonna happen, bro. Gotta be, it gotta happen. But let me ask you this before you leave. Uh Sweet 16 is set. You got uh Baylor versus Villanova, Arkansas versus Oral Roberts, Loyola versus uh um Oregon State, Syracuse in a walking bucket, Buddy Bayheim. That boy told him like the other night. He said, "I'm a bucket," and I believe it. Uh, Syracuse versus Houston, Bama versus UCLA, uh, Michigan versus Florida State, uh, USC versus Oregon, and Gonzaga versus Creighton. That's your Sweet 16 lineup. Uh, out of these 16 teams, who is your favorite to go at least to the Final Four? I'm not even going to talk Elite Eight. Let's talk Final Four. No, nah, let's so let's go. I'll even go one step further. I mean, I can't remember how the bracket set up, but I think I think Alabama's will give everybody problems because they play the basketball a different way, um, and their tempo. And I think that's gonna give because I think they're on the same side of the bracket with Gonzaga. Yep, Gonzaga's. I, they didn't put so. No so I think I think Gonzaga's biggest test is gonna be USC because I think they get them in the next spot. If, I'm, if they win. And I'm doing this all off the top of my head. So I apologize. I'm wrong. But I think Gonzaga, whoever they get next, is going to be a test. But I think Gonzaga struggle against Alabama. Um, and then I think I think on the other side is Baylor. Yeah, Baylor's on the other side. I think I think I think it's Baylor. It might be Baylor, Alabama, to be to be to be the truthful when it's all said and done. And the only reason I say that is because I got two mantras that I always live by when it comes to basketball. Um, one is if you're the same team in November that you are in March, then you didn't grow. And what I think has happened with this truncated season is some of these teams are still in January, February. They haven't gotten to March as a team because you cut down the number of games they play. Mm-hmm. So they haven't had a chance to grow. And then some of these teams have been on COVID and all that stuff. So you just don't get that. Like I think basketball is one of the sports that you gotta you gotta get through that ground. Like I know you mentioned earlier, you said pressure build pipes, or I mean pressure burst pipes and make diamonds. Mm-hmm. Well, my man Brenton Bunkner used to always say pressure will make a monkey eat the hot pepper. I don't ever know what it meant, but it sounded provocative, so I'm gonna go with it. <laughs> but that's what I think it is. I think we're in a situation where pressure gonna make people eat some hot. I mean, make monkeys eat hot peppers. So it's going to be a real challenge. So I think Gonzaga is the best talent, is the most talented team left. I think Alabama has the best scheme left. I think Baylor 
is the best built. If that makes sense. So that's where I'm at with that. But I think I got Bama against Baylor in the finals. Okay. Uh, for me, I'm not even going to lie. I'm looking at Michigan, Syracuse. I don't know why, but it would only be fitting. And I, I, I have been saying about, you know, Georgetown, I was like, this is a special year. We weren't supposed to lose. I was down. My mom's had to console me. Of all people in college basketball, my mom's consoled me and was like, it's okay. Yeah. Because I told her, I was like, this year was special. I was at work and I was, man, I, I stopped working and pulled over to the side of the road. And I was like, this year was supposed to be pe- special. We lost coach this year. Then we went to the Big East tournament when we weren't supposed to. Then we were supposed to at least make a run. But things are going to look up next year. I'm, I'm, I'm optimistic about next year. My mom's consoled me, man. She straight consoled me. I mean, she's a good woman. I mean, that's only because um, Carolina got killed by Wisconsin. <laughs> So she was probably just being sympathetic. So, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I, I don't know who 34 for Wisconsin is, but he shot the lights out that night. And, like, yeah. Like, this is probably one of the – this is easily one of the the most disgusted Carolina teams I've ever, like, watched. Like, I just never got into them. Next year. I think next year everything will be better. Um, But it's only right for Michigan – to make it to the to the championship and win. I mean, I think it would be absolutely right. I think they should call a timeout when they don't have one. Ooh, dog. Okay. <laughs> Last but not least, we're gonna I'm gonna leave off that because you just you just you cut me deep there. The midnight rider pulled out his blade and cut me deep. Then he blew he poured salt in the wound and then blew on it. So yeah, that, bad, that, that hurts. And then he tried to soothe it by putting uh lemon juice on it. Thank you very much, sir. You welcome. Last but not least, before we get up out of here, Steven Silas, they the Rockets lost 20 straight games. Now, mind you, they were 11 and 10 at one point. And I was like, all right, these boys looking good. Then they lost 20 straight. Uh, do you think that he will be the scapegoat, per se, and fired at the end of the season and they bring in uh, – because uh, let me say this. They – People say it's not a color issue. He doesn't know but how to it coach. Is. It is. But, but it I is. say, how does he not know how to coach? Well, he had Harden. He had Russ. Russ was gone before the beginning of the season. Harden was checked out before he was shipped off. Then they shipped off P.J. Tucker, who was your center. I don't know why. But they shipped off P.J. Tucker. Uh, yes, he has Wall. He has Oladipo. They wound up letting go Boogie Cousins. It's a lot that came into that. And then they're dealing with injuries. They suited up eight guys one day last week. Eight guys. You're supposed to have 12. They suited up eight. That means your your bench is only three deep. How is that his fault? But they talk All about. Right, so it's the NBA. Right. And I don't mean to cut you off, but this is how the NBA rock. Like, um, I almost feel bad for young black coaches in the NBA because they get the worst rosters to deal with. And then if they don't walk on water and part the Red Sea, it's their fault. Um, perfect example is New Orleans with Alvin Gentry. I thought Alvin Gentry is the perfect coach for the team that they have constructed now. Um, but for some reason, he was let go. And these coaches end up in situations where they get bad talent in bad situations. Like, Steven Silas has no way of winning this in this league, you know, when you got, you have two guys that you let go before the season start, John Wall, you, you trade PJ Tucker. Um, like you hinged your season basically on some guy that nobody's heard of. Cause if you know who Christian Wood is, I, yo, I owe you a bit. If you knew who Christian Wood was before the season started and thought he was going to be a beast, I owe you a bit. Cause I, I had to go to I had to YouTube and Google him to figure out who the heck this dude was and why everybody's making a fuss about him. So um I just think it's a situation where, as always, GMs make bad decisions, young black coaches pay for just one opportunity. I can't say it no better. And I agree with you wholeheartedly. And you brought up uh Alvin Gentry and myself and and the boss BJ, we always talk about it. We say, how is it always that 
guys like Alvin Gentry, um, Stephen Silas, they are putting these uh, even uh Nate McMillan. Now Nate McMillan got them balling down in Atlanta now that he's the interim coach, but will he get the head coaching job? I doubt it. But how yeah, is they all see right? I think I don't know how high they are. I know they won eight. Last time I checked, they had won eight straight. I've been on college basketball, so I ain't been really paying attention. No, no. I think the last thing I heard this the last weekend was they were they were currently sitting at four, but of course they had gone through the easy part of the schedule. So the next yeah, part was um going to be the test to see if they for real or not. Right. They're at four. They're uh, twenty two and twenty one. But yeah. a lot of black coaches get the short end of the stick and they get fired and then they bring in a less experienced sometimes white coach and then all of a sudden they take off and the white coach gets the credit now but there's always, a whole, whole, they get they they fire the black coach then get talent and then they take off that's true so the difference the problem is the black coach didn't have no talent like even though even if we want to take it since we're on the precipice of baseball season Let's take it to the Houston Astros. The Astros, I forgot the black assistant's name that was here in Washington. Oh, Bo. Um, God, what is Bo's last name? I can't think of Bo's last name. But Bo was here in Washington, went down to Houston, became the coach. Houston decided they were going to clear house, clean everything out, and then all of a sudden, once everybody started coming to their own, the Carlos Careers, the Jose Altuvos, um, they made the deal for Gary Cole and all that stuff. Of course, Bo gets fired the season before. They bring in um, AJ Hinch, and then all of a sudden they're winning 80, 90 ball games. And it's like, oh, Hinch is the coach of the year. No, he's not. You just finally gave him time. Like, you can't go from a 20 million payroll to 140 million and blame the coach. Mm-hmm. This is one of the times when it's not. It's not it's not the X's and O's, it's the Jimmy and Joe's, as they say. Ah, I like that. I like that. Now now, think about this. And Steve Kerr, I, I got mad respect for Steve Kerr because they asked him one time, this is about a year and a half, two years ago, where did you guys learn how to play defense like that? And he was like, Mark Jackson told him that before I got here. He said, I all the credit goes to Mark. A lot of these things that these guys do, Mark Jackson told him. He said, All I did was take that. And add my own flavor to it, and that's that. That was the recipe. Mark Jackson deserves all the credit, and he said that that not in a sarcastic tone. He said that truthful. He'll say that in interviews. Mark Jackson deserves this credit. I I respect that. But it's also because he came up on the field, and he also knows that like he didn't walk in to save something. He walked into a ready-made program. All he had to do was not crash the bus. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, yeah well. You, you, your whole pro, whole job, like, like what's that segment on ESPN? Like, you only got one job? Mm-hmm. This only one job was not to crash the bus. Like, if you can keep the bus on the road, you good. And that's exactly what happened there in that situation. I, I like to say that, you know, we, we always say that he got a Ferrari, and all he got to do is not strip the gears. Exactly. That's, That's it. it. Just drive and don't strip the gears. Don't burn out the clutch. That's all it is. Totally so, agree. But I hope that they don't fire Steven Silas. I hope he's given a chance to make things right. I hope they bring more players in and, you know, build around that team that you have. So we got to keep our eye on that, but we got to get out of here. So Midnight Rider, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. For joining me tonight, uh, the other gentleman, the boss BJ, the man of the hour, Delonte, Junie, Jim, all on special assignment tonight. So best part about it is after the night, I'll be back again tomorrow for Thursday Night Throwdown. So if you're listening to this on the replay, make sure you check out the WrestleManiacs from Saturday and be on the lookout. For the Thursday night throwdown tomorrow live from somewhere. It might be Podbean, Facebook, Instagram. I don't know. Depends on what we what we got in our, up our sleeve. So until then, the Midnight Rider. Thank you, sir. No problem. I'm the big guy, KG. We don't do no overtime. We are out of here.